All right, Duke fans, three times in one week, back to back to back. Here we are on the DBR podcast, episode 249 coming at you. Once again, we are previewing Dukies headed to the NBA and it is time for Trey Jones. We are going to be uh, previewing Trey's potential NBA draft future. Uh, and once again, I am here with my friends Donald and Sam. Guys, are y'all excited? Sam, are you ready for us to talk about Trey Jones and the NBA draft? I am absolutely ready to talk about Trey Jones in the NBA draft. I I think all of us are, are big Trey Jones fans, and we're very excited to see his career develop in the NBA. He recently received that that Hall of Honor award at, at Duke, so so his picture is in the Hall of Honor, and and will be there, you know, until there are too many guys that that don't fit anymore. So Trey Jones is is a is a cherished member of the Duke family, and we're very excited to kick off this conversation with Jeremiah about the third Duke prospect in the draft this year, Trey Jones. And for me, I'm I'm just sad, you know, at the sense I, I'm really excited to talk about Trey Jones, but we've gone back to back to, and now we're going back to back to back. I, I feel like we should have had a fourth guy that was eligible for this draft so we can do some Washington Nationals magic and go back to back to back to back. But alas... The Washington Nationals are going to keep that record. We can only go uh, three in a row. But Trey Jones, I think the best uh, that we're saving is for last. So let's go. Yeah. So uh, so with that, we're, we're going to go to our conversation. Sam led the conversation uh, with Jeremiah Boswell. And by the way, if you haven't listened to the previous two episodes, the one about Cassius Stanley yesterday, the one two days ago, uh, featuring Ver- featuring our conversation about Vernon Carey. Uh, we're once again talking to Jeremiah Boswell. He's one of the founding partners of the Skill Factory, which is a basketball training academy. Uh, he's employed by the NBA in youth development. Um, go back and listen to those other episodes to hear all the players, the NBA players that he has worked with. This is someone who knows what it takes to get drafted, what teams are looking for in the NBA draft. And here is Sam's conversation with Jeremiah about the NBA draft future of Trey Jones. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being with us. I want to do our our last conversation here about the draft as we head into it to talk about Trey Jones, who has been Duke's point guard for the last two years. He's been a, a, a team leader, both emotionally and and making big shots at the end of games. We remember you know, his, his amazing performance in Chapel Hill this year, I think, is going to stand out for Duke fans for a long time. What does, and, and I want to start the conversation about him talking about his return for his sophomore season. He, after his freshman year, his jump shot was not great. And I think that the big conversation with him coming back for sophomore year was if he can improve his jump shot, he's going to be a much more viable NBA pick. How do you feel he's progressed from his freshman year to his sophomore year? I think he made great strides. I think it's pretty clear. I mean, just even looking at his percentages, um, they went up, right? But he also seemed to play with it a little more confidence and shoot the ball with a little more confidence. I think coming into the season, he knew he was going to have to be uh, more of an offensive presence. And that kind of, he, he lived up to it, right? Like he owned it and, and took it on and you could see it. So um, I think that was a help for him. Um, so I think that's a, that's a big positive. He made shots. He showed that he can extend his range and become more confident, more comfortable. So that, that was big for him. I also mentioned at the top there that, you know, a thing that, that Duke fans are going to remember about Trey Jones is, is his leadership and that he just seems to have that it factor. How much do, 
do teams care about that in the draft and and how do you measure a thing like that like wh- where does it where does it come into the evaluation yeah i mean there's there's a million things in evaluations but i think the way people fit so I, one team told me a few years ago that you know when we're looking at players we only want people who we want to be around for 82 games you know we're traveling with these guys everywhere we're in the same hotels we're going you know you want to be around people that you like and so I think he has just kind of that good nature about him um, that, that, you know, will always be there. I think they also have kind of the proof in the pudding by looking at his older brother um, and, and seeing kind of how he's doing as a success story. Um, so I think he's got a lot of those just positive attributes as a person that are going to allow him to, to be kind of a stable NBA player. And I'm glad you brought up Tyus because that I was going to go there next. I don't think that, that Tyus Jones is a great comp for Trey Jones. It just feels like their games, at least in college, were pretty different. Tyus was was much more of the the big shot maker, and and Trey I think was a little bit more of a facilitator than he was. Do you mm-hmm. think that it, that it's appropriate for teams to be looking at, at Tyus as a as a blueprint for Trey, or are there other players that you think are better comps for Trey Jones as a professional? Yeah, I think it's fair because I think you look at both of them as a backup point guard that you want to be stable and consistent and you're not worried about, you know, the ups and downs is, is he going to have eight turnovers this game and, or is he going to shoot, you know, four bad shots off the dribble? You don't have to worry about that really with, with either of them, right? Like there's a, just a, a confidence in a coach that can say with these guys, I get this, I know what I'm getting. And so I think they both have that. And that that's um, something even like a Frank Jackson, right? Like, those guys have that and coaches, they need it. They, they need something they can trust. Um, and so I think those two definitely have that. And it, it helps them to be compared to his brother in that sense. Another of Trey's best qualities, I think, that, that Duke fans got to see was his ability to play defense, both on the ball and off the ball. He's not the biggest player. And certainly relative to, to some of the really big point guards that are coming into the NBA these days, he's, he's not going to be as tall or as long as them. How well is his defense expected to translate? And are there things that, that you think he should be working on really on the defensive end to, to make himself more viable? I, th- I think he's going to be a really good defender, honestly. I think he just, um, one, with defense, you can't teach kind of effort and care and intensity and like never giving up on plays. Those are kind of intangibles that he has, but he also has really good technique. So, um, you know, if, if you're in a, um, ice down blue, whatever you call it, situation on a pick and roll. He does a really good job of of changing his angle of his body, getting into the body of, of the defender and having active hands at the same time. And so he gets hit by a screen maybe, and he doesn't give up on it. Right. So he did, I think he has the potential to do that at the next level. Um, you know, the size thing to me doesn't worry me too much. Like he'll put on probably a little bit of strength and, and mass to help him. Um, but there's not a whole lot of times where, where guards are kind of getting in the paint and playing bully ball that he's going to have to, to worry about. Um, so I, I don't think that's going to be a, a big issue for him. Obviously, getting a little stronger will, will help, but um, I think he's going to be just fine as a defender. Are there certain systems that you think fit his game the best in the NBA? It feels like the, the team, especially his sophomore year, but even his freshman year, was really tailored around his skills. That said, his his first year he was playing with Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett. They were the focal point. This last year it was him and Vernon Carey. Much 
different uh, playing styles, but both kind of worked for him. Is there a particular playing style that you think is particularly good or not so advantageous for him? I think, um, you know, strong organizations that run good stuff uh, are, are ideal, right? So I think about like a, the Spurs, obviously, um, the, the Bucks, even, you know, like a good coach who knows what they want, run good stuff um, and, and can let him, you know, excel where he needs to excel, but also not ask too much of him. Um, I, you know, I think um, I'm trying to think of, of, of bad situations. There's probably only a handful of those, but he'd probably be fine in those as well, um, just because his, his kind of even kill nature. But I, I think systems that that run good stuff um, with good, solid, firm coaches where the other players also respect that coach are going to help him because the coach is going to respect him, right? And so if he's in a place where the players are kind of – I look at, like, the Bulls last year, right, with Zach Levine and the, the Boylan, you know, issues, right? Zach Levine wasn't really – caring too much about what coach was saying and was going on the floor and coming out of a timeout coach might have said do this and he was doing something else right and kind of had his own way and and so I think um Trey wouldn't do well in that situation he needs guys who are going to respect him because the coach respects him um and so uh I think there's a handful of good good examples there I want to wrap up our set of conversations with you with a couple of general questions about, about Duke and, and players in the NBA. The first is we've talked about Trey Jones, Cassius Stanley, and Vernon Carey. Of those three, if you had to pick, which of them do you think has kind of the longest, most successful NBA career just based on the way the game is now? Uh, those are two different questions. Longest, um, Trey. Most successful, potentially Cassius. Um, I think those two, I mean, Trey could stick around for a long time just because all the, the reasons we mentioned, I think Cassius could turn a corner and become really good. Um, Vernon, just as a big, you never know, you know, sometimes they pan out, sometimes they, they don't. I think he could make a lot of money overseas in China. He'd be a really, really good big in the Euro League. Um, so not to say that that would happen in these next, you know, handful of years, but, you know, maybe it's, um, you know, by the third contract or something, he, he he's he's moved on. Um, so that's it, I guess, my quick answer. And then finally, I want to ask you kind of generally about about Duke as it's perceived in the NBA. You mentioned previously to us about Cassius Stanley, how, you know, he's going to interview well because he's a Duke guy and everyone knows that the Duke guys are going to interview well. What What other qualities do you think permeate through the Duke program for all the guys that they're sending to the NBA. And do you think you know, you've, you've told us that you've been working with, um, with potential draft picks for a long time. Has that changed at all as Duke has embraced more of this, this one and done, uh, you know, setup where, where they have guys only staying one or two years as opposed to three or four? I don't think so. Like, I think you always get guys who, I think everybody that goes to Duke, whether they wrestle with it or not, they all end up accepting that they're a part of a team. The team is bigger than, than the individual. There's like a culture uh, of, of family and commitment um, and just kind of like a, a work, work ethic. Like I think there are some things that um, you know you're always going to get from Duke regardless of a, of a one and done situation. Um, so, yeah, I, I think those, those elements are always there. Um, 
I think, you know, when I look at guys from Duke, so, like some of them um, pan out a little bit better than they are, but often you can kind of predict where they're going. Uh, when I think about maybe an enemy of yours, um, Kentucky, right, there's a lot of guys who don't do so well there, and then they become really good NBA players. Um, that, that's happened for a number of them, right? Like, um, and so in some ways what's happening there is their, their earnings are being hurt by going to Kentucky because, you know, they come out of there, Tyler Hero isn't drafted or Eric Bledsoe, or, you know, you, you can name a long list of guys who are drafted lower, but have more success. So they lost, you know, $8 million in their first contract. And I feel like Duke guys don't necessarily have that issue because, you're kind of able to see what, you know, they showcase some of the skills they're able to, to, to use at the next level. So um, I don't know what, how I got there, um, but maybe you guys like that jab um, in there as well. But uh, no, there's just certain qualities that all Duke guys have. No, it, it's great. On, on a recent episode of this program, we had a listener email us asking for ways to make fun of Kentucky because she was, a, she, she's a Duke fan and she's about to get married to a Kentucky guy. So yeah, keep them coming. We 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 love that kind of stuff. It's that's easy for us. But anyway, uh, all that being said, Jeremiah Boswell, thank you so much for for being on the on the Duke Basketball Report program with us. We really appreciate you being able to share all this insight about you know Duke's incoming uh, draftees and 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 the whole process for getting them there. So so thank you. Absolutely, no problem. Thank you guys for having me. Sam, you had the conversation with Jeremiah, so I'll go to you first. What's your big takeaway from what he had to say about Trey's NBA prospects? I'm actually surprised at how forward he was about comparing Trey to Tyus because I, I think of that as one of the, the kind of cheap comparisons, given that they are brothers. But as I noted in the conversation, I don't think they have very similar games, but that actually might work in Trey's favor when it comes specifically to his draft prospects, because I think Tyus Jones has worked out well as a middle of the first round type of player. So if NBA teams are looking at Trey Jones and saying he's got all the makeup and the skills that Tyus has and, and has even arguably been individually more successful, not on a team basis because he didn't win a championship the way Tyus did, but was really the heart and soul of a, of a Duke team in his sophomore season. I think that that, that, that plays really well for Trey. I, I think that um, Jeremiah was also, to me, surprisingly bullish on on Trey's sort of projection in the NBA, that he's he's going to be a good defender. He's he's going to figure a lot of things out. And, and that might come from working with him or, or working with other guys who have worked with him and knowing just, just how locked in he is on the court. And then finally, I thought it was really telling about how different types of players react to different NBA situations and, and, and how, you know, the, the, the player and the organization sort of have to match. That seems really important for Trey Jones. And, and so I'm very excited to see where he lands because I, I really hope that it's the kind of good fit situation that's going to set him up for success. Yeah. And I think when, when we're looking at Trey Jones, he did everything that anyone asked of him, right? Like, he came in, he was a Hilder freshman point guard. He did well uh, for the 2018-2019 team. 
he decided to come back to school because he wanted to, you know, A, go for a national championship. That obviously the coronavirus kind of robbed him of that opportunity uh, late in the season. But he also improved in all areas. He improved his passing. He improved his defense. He improved his shooting. He, he improved everything. And, and really, when you're looking, if you're an NBA scout, you got to be like, yo, this guy came back to school and did exactly what we want for guys when they go back to school to improve in all areas of their game. And that 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 really and that plus the comparisons to Tyus and just how Tyus has really just emerges kind of, you know, that that backup point guard that you desperately need that can be solid no matter what in all areas of the game uh, for so long. If if Ty if Trey is better than that, then NBA NBA GMs have got to be just salivating at the opportunity to kind of grab this guy and say, yo, we need uh, there is always a need for backup point guards that can be solid and that can contribute or even guys that can take over and start in a pinch for, you know, some of the stars of this league, you have to have one of those guys. And I think Trey Jones is one of the best uh, suited point guards in this draft to do that. Uh, You know, you guys stole my thunder. Uh, I I literally had written down two things I wanted to talk about. The first one was, I thought it was so interesting when Jeremiah talked about Trey going to a team that has the right culture, that has a strong coach, that he could be a reflection of the coach that his teammates would see him in that fashion and that it would allow him to succeed. Um, and, and that as a result of that, going later in the first round where, where you tend to have more stable organizations was probably a good thing for Trey. So that was one thing I wrote down. Sam talks about it. Then the other thing I wrote, I wrote down for myself, I was like, oh, you know what? We have to talk about the fact that Trey improved so much in the places he needed to improve from his freshman to his sophomore year. Everyone said he, he needed to be more assertive on offense. He needed to be more of a scorer. He needs to work on his outside shot. Lo and behold, he's more assertive on offense. He's a better outside shooter. He's more of a scorer in his sophomore season. And a guy who does that, a guy who you say, hey, you need to work on this. He works on it and succeeds at it. Boy, if I'm an NBA GM, that's what I'm looking for. And here's Donald saying the exact same thing. I got nothing else to add, gentlemen. I'm I'm flummoxed at this point. So we're it gonna means, get to- it means it means we're really smart. Like we all we all did not talk about what we we're gonna talk about, and sure enough, in our minds it incepted that we were gonna talk about the same things. Yeah. It, it it takes a lot to get those jobs, I think. But so we're gonna play our game. We said 25th pick. All three of us said we're taking Vernon Carey. 26th pick, we all said, ah, I'm probably gonna wait till the second round and Cassius Stanley. We are now NBA GMs again. We have the 27th pick. Should I even do this? I think I know where all three of us stand. I'm going to say where I stand first rather than go to you guys. If I have the 27th pick and and Trey Jones is on the board, I am laughing at the teams that passed on him, and I'm taking him in a heartbeat. Backup point guards are a really valuable thing in the NBA. Um, I'm not saying Trey Jones is going to be a guy who plays 30 minutes a game, but you need a guy to play 12 to 15 minutes a game and be really solid on defense and knock down an occasional shot and facilitate for the other guys on your team and occasionally, when your point guard gets hurt or something, they can step up and play 30. And I think Trey Jones has that written all over him. And just like his brother, he'll have a long career and make a lot of money as a backup NBA point guard. And if you can get one of those in the mid-20s, I would do it in a heartbeat. Donald, how about you? So here's the thing. If I have the 27th pick and I'm the Detroit Pistons, I'm making a phone call. I'm making a phone call to the Miami Heat, who I believe have the 21st pick. I also think that that would be a really great spot for Trey Jones. I think the Miami Heat may not let him get past 21. So what I'm doing is I'm calling and I'm saying, yo, can I move up to 21? Because I really want this kid, Trey Jones, and hoping that I can con them into taking a second round pick in exchange 
so that I can have the steal of the draft of the first round of the late first round rather and and get Trey Jones at 21. So yeah, I'm getting him at 27. I, I'm like you, Jason. I'm laughing if they're if he's already at 27. But I don't think he's. I honestly don't think he's going to make it there. I think 21 is that sweet spot for him, uh, right where the Miami Heat pick because I think they could use him, uh, and I think he would fit in well with them. And if I'm the Detroit Pistons or another team, I'm making a call to them to say, hey, what what it'll take to get you out of that spot. Yeah, if I'm any kind of playoff team, then Trey Jones almost certainly fits a need for me because it, it's that it's that sort of steady backup point guard, you know, quality to his game that that every team need every team needs more guys like that, guys that are that are that are plugged into the system. I think Donald hit the nail on the head with with like the Miami with the Miami Heat being a great example. Um, Tons of teams out there that I think could use Trey Jones. I think he gets a first round look because one of those successful playoff teams is going to say that we need a guy like him to to get us over the top. Guys, I will say the one thing, I mean, we're really bullish on Trey, obviously. The one thing I'll say is that this is a NBA draft that is pretty rich in point guards. Um I I think I think it's pretty likely that Trey will be no better than maybe the seventh or eighth point guard taken in this NBA draft. Um, and, and as a result, it may be that despite us feeling like he'd be a steal at, you know, in the mid twenties um, that he lasts the second round. I don't want folks to be fooled into thinking, you know, he's a sure thing to go in the first round. I, I, I think he is probably not a sure thing to go in the first round. Not, not at all. The, the, the key here is upside. You know, a lot of, it's a big word. That's always in the NBA draft upside. Do you, and, and then there's also the word solid. And really, it's about what a GM or team prefers. Do they want the guy with the upside or do they want the solid peak pick? I think when it comes to the later end of the draft, you're talking about teams who are well-established. They're one or two pieces away from an NBA championship. And I think when it comes to those teams, they're looking for someone more solid. But yeah, at the top of the draft, there's going to be a lot of point guards taken because the upside is there on quite a few guys. Hey, guys, there was one other cool thing we did with Jeremiah that I just want to get to very, very quickly. As he mentioned um, on the Vernon Carey uh, episode that we recorded, uh, he he has worked with several players connected with Duke in the past. And I, I had to ask him about Jamin Brakefield because he mentioned that he worked with Jamin. Um, so here is just a little bit of a conversation. I, I know, you know, we're, we're mostly talking about Dukies in the NBA draft right now, but uh, the, the chance to hear from someone who's worked with Jamin Brakefield about what Jamin may be like at Duke, I think is really important and really, you know, going to be useful for us to understand one of the freshmen that we ha- probably heard the least about Jamin Brakefield of anybody uh, on the current roster. So here's Jeremiah Boswell talking to us very quickly about his time working with Jamin Brakefield. So Jeremiah, you, you mentioned to us that you've worked with Jamin Brakefield, uh, you know, we haven't had a blue-white game. We haven't had a lot of chances to see the incoming Duke freshmen to see what they're like. You clearly know his game. Give us a quick scouting report, if you can, on on Jamin and what Duke fans should expect from him. Yeah, um, Jamin's a great kid, first and foremost. Um, I spent some time with him. Um, it's been several years ago he first came to Atlanta just because somebody that was in his circle um, trusted kind of what we, we do on court, and, and he came out and spent some time hard worker, um, very coachable, good kid, grounded. Um, and then he actually came back and we spent some time with him um, this probably about a year ago. And I think, you know, the thing about Jamin and Duke is I think is a really good fit for both because he's a good player. 
um, but he's going to do really well in a system in a culture where he doesn't have to be the guy necessarily like he's not creating every shot or you know trying to do too much he's going to be able to show his strengths by spacing the floor knocking down shots playing off one or two dribbles at the rim and and that's that's where he's good. That's the situation he's good in. And that's what Duke's going to allow him to do. So I think, you know, you'll be able to see him make out and make some open shots and, and, you know, be a good team player and, and play the right way. Is he the kind of guy that you think will be an immediate impact player in college or someone who, you know, maybe take a couple of years? Uh, look, obviously at Duke, you're doing nothing but playing with guys who are future lottery picks. It feels like so. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, he's got he's he's seasoned enough and good enough to be ready to play. Um, I'll say that. And and kind of where it goes from there is unknown. Right. Like he, he could he could be great. It could be uh, Marquise Bolden. Right. And, and you know, kind of want a little more and, you know, frustrating on both ends. Um, so I don't know. I think he's got a world of potential um, as a as a stretch shooter. Um, but it's just hard to tell, you know, what, what happens when you get into the day-to-day with him. Perfect. That was great. Excellent. So, so that, that was some insight into Jamin's game. Admittedly, Jeremiah said, uh, you know, he, he hasn't, he didn't work with him like in the past year or so. It was a little bit earlier in Jamin's high school career. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think, I think some good insight into, uh, the type of player he's going to be, he 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 seems very high on Jamin as an outside shooter, you know, as a stretch four, which which is a a, a big deal and, and something that Duke likes to employ. I think it'll be, you know, it's going to be tough to get a lot of stretch four minutes um, with Matthew Hurt on the floor at Duke, but uh, but I suspect Jamin Breakfield is not going to be a one and done kind of player for for the Blue Devils. Yeah, and I I agree with that. I, I it's it's also intriguing, right? You don't we kind of almost stumbled into this the fact that. Uh, your friend here happened to, you know, train, you know, a couple years ago, one of the, you know, star recruits for our, uh, this year's basketball team. So that's actually, that's a great pull uh, from from you and also from Jeremiah, just to kind of give that insight that we wouldn't get anywhere else. And you're right. I think when it comes to the stretch four position, uh, if you will, those minutes are really going, the bulk of them are going to go to Matthew Hurt. Uh, I, I say that no pun intended because I know he's bulked up a bit, but I, I do think with Jamin Breakfield, he has a chance to really work out a role where he can, if he could come off this, you know, bench, give us 10, 15 minutes of solid play, that's going to be helpful because again, we're going to have a deep team, at least for the first part of the season. I know we like to talk about when we regress to the mean of, of a seven to eight man uh, depth chart, but uh, I, I think at least for the first couple months of the season, we're going to see a lot of all these guys and that includes Jamin Breakfield. And what we are seeing from some of these highlight videos with regards to all the players and really even a small part with Jamin Breakfield, confidence. Keep building the confidence that, hey, when I call your number, that you're ready to step out on the floor and produce. And I don't see why Jamin Breakfield can't be one of those guys, especially in the early part of the season. Yeah, I, I agree with Donald that the key here is that Jamin Breakfield, given how little we're talking about him early in the season, is unlikely to get significant minutes for Duke this season. He'll be around for two, three, four years on on the bench for the Blue Devils. And so the, it, it's more about the the long-term development for him. I think it's cool that that he's had opportunities to, to work with, with big-time trainers like this and look forward to seeing anything, really, that he produces in a Duke uniform this year, but more so for him looking down the road for his contributions, perhaps as a sophomore. Yeah, I think that's probably pretty accurate about him. 
uh, that that uh, probably you know we're not going to see a ton of him this season. Um, but uh, the Duke coaches, I'm sure, will will tell Jamin what he needs to do to improve. And there are many many stories of guys who you know weren't huge contributors as freshmen who turn into really you know significant players for Duke down the road. And I I, I suspect that's probably the path that Jamin Breakfield is going to take. Um, kid, kid's a great athlete, that's for sure. And and hearing that he has a good outside shot, um, Coach K loves guys who can shoot. So I'm sure he'll find time at some point. Yeah, so that's going to do it for us here on episode 249. Folks, we hope you enjoyed this back-to-back-to-back trio of episodes on the Dukies headed to the NBA draft. We wish all three of them, Vernon Carey, Trey Jones, and Cassius Stanley, you know, so much success. I'm sure those guys are going to do great in their basketball careers. God, I, I, I wish they were coming back to Duke. But um, as, as happens every year, the players we love the most seem to leave us the quickest. But for Donald and Sam, I am Jason. Thanks again to Jeremiah Boswell of the Skill Factory um, and NBA Youth Development for, for chatting with us about these players and, and giving us some insight into the NBA draft and how, how everything in the league works. Um, we'll be back very, very soon to also talk about the latest Duke news, all the things going on with the team as we get closer and closer to the start of the college basketball season. A lot of interesting things happening. But uh, for now, we are done with our NBA draft previews. By the way, we want to hear from all of you. If you think we are just absolutely crazy that Jeremiah has no idea what he's talking about, you're, you're wrong. But if you think that, write to us. Talk to us. dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe and leave us a review. As I've promised in the past, you leave us a five-star review. Um, we will read it on the air. Send us emails. We'll answer your questions out over here. We want to interact with all of you out there. Um, but uh, until next time, like I said, I'm Jason. He's Sam. He's Donald. And this is the Duke Band. Take us home. Thank you guys hopefully it was helpful i don't know if i uh shared anything no else. definitely but, it's yeah. um yeah it, it it's cool to get um it's cool to get people who like are are in it but are not like you are not like a famous person um <laughs> but you bring but no but 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 you bring good analysis so it's like we like sometimes we get to we get to interview like prominent people but like like you can go anywhere to hear audio of of like duke coaches and stuff like the the in the weed stuff, I, I think actually plays really well. So th- this is I personally I don't know how the others feel. Obviously, Jason invited you. No, I agree. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but this is the kind of stuff that like is just harder is like harder content to find. So you kind of you kind of give the raw and cut. You know, what I mean, like there's so many people who will give the canned answer. Like, oh yeah, I love Cassius Stanley. He's a great dunker. And you're like, yo, he needs to work on his handle a little bit. And like yeah. those things are the things that we need to hear. And our fans need to hear so that, you know, when draft night comes, we have a we I, we like to walk in with realistic expectations of where our guys are going to go if they're going to get drafted. And right. that's that's what we needed. So, like, not gassing these guys up saying this is what they're great at. This is what they're not great at. But more importantly, this is what NBA scouts are looking at. Yeah. And, and who's making the decision? Right. Like, is the owner weighing in? is is the coach does they do they have a, i heard a story just the other day about uh 
um, gosh, I forgot the guy, the coach at SMU, Larry Brown. Um, he he was there was a draft night. Where, hang on, hang on. Did you just say? Did you just forget? who Larry Brown was and introduced him <laughs> simply as the coach at SMU. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. I'm so happy yeah. you did that. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry. Um, but so he was, the GM called the agent and told them two minutes before that they were going to draft them. And then the draft came out, they announced a different player and um, the GM ended up having to call and apologize because Larry Brown called, last minute, he was like, F this man, we're taking this guy and just completely changed what was happening. And all that crumbles down the rest of the draft, right? So, you know, now somebody else is on the board with a different team that didn't expect them to be there. And it's just, it's, it's a mess. And I've heard this year that more teams are trying to trade their picks and a lot of people are trying to trade down. Um, so like Golden State, we had a workout with Denny Avia, Steve Kerr was there, like GMs, owners, everybody are there. And, they put out a report after that they loved, you know, they were blown away by this workout from Denny and kind of you dig through it a little bit and all they're trying to do is get some trade bait. Like, you know, so it's the draft process is a mess already. And then this year it's, it's even crazier. Hey, this was great, man. Thanks a lot. You were excellent. Thank you. Thank you guys.